Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah everybody and welcome home. For the past few years we've always started our programs with this statement and we mean it because community is a place that we all should call home. A place that gives us peace, a place that gives us tranquility and a place that we know is going to be there. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes faith in the Quran, He mentions stability as being a requirement for faith to grow. Asluha thabit wa far'uha sama That its roots are firm and its branches grow to the sky. If we don't have stability, if we don't have permanence, if we don't know that something is going to be there for us, then our faith won't be able to grow. This is why when the Prophet ﷺ came to Medina and made the migration, the hijrah with his companions, at that moment, when they arrived at their new permanent home, he said the beautiful phrase, Afshus salam, spread peace. Why? Because peace can be attained now that we have a place that we can call home. For the past five years, Roots has been able to be a part of so many people's lives, alhamdulillah, by the grace of Allah. And we're so honored to have that be a part of our legacy. But we've been doing it in temporary spaces. We've been doing it in hotel banquet halls, in masjid side rooms, in people's living rooms at home, and in temporary lease spaces where when we were signing the lease, we knew that this was not going to be there forever. But that can change. By the favor of Allah, with our foundational organization, Qalam, we've been able to find this beautiful property here in Carrollton, Texas that will be the permanent location and facility for the Roots Community Space. A place where everybody can feel that tranquility and have that growth of faith that Allah Ta'ala tells us about. We need your help to close on this property. We need you to generously donate and contribute whatever you can, adding your name to this list of people that will help build and construct a permanent home for us to build the model community following the example of the Prophet Muhammad in Medina. Help us make this dream a reality. Visit rootsdfw.org slash home. Bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Welcome home everybody. It's good to see everybody, alhamdulillah. How are you doing? Alhamdulillah, okay, alhamdulillah. Um, inshallah, inshallah, we're gonna be Moving a little bit, uh, not, not quickly, but we're going to be covering a lot today because uh, it's one of those verses that has so much in it uh, and I, I don't want to stop halfway through it. That would be like the worst thing ever. So we're, inshallah, we're going to be uh, starting uh, where we left off last week, which is in Surah Al-Baqarah, the second chapter of the Qur'an. We, we began uh, with Surah Al-Baqarah with the first two verses, okay? And who can remember or who can recall some reflections that we had from the first two verses of Surah Al-Baqarah? Alif Lamim, al-Kitab al What was it? Okay, very good. We talked about humility. How? They were masters of Arabic language, but they didn't understand Alif Lamim. Okay, good job. Yeah, so these people that the Qur'an was sent to initially were people who had a lot of pride in their Arabic language ability. But Allah Ta'ala sends down as the first verse of the surah, Alif Lam Mim, and this is a verse that is self-contained. And it has, according to all the scholars of tafsir, it has no definitive meaning. Like, or it does, but we don't know that meaning. And so the reminder is very strong in that you could be like the master of whatever you think you are, but you always are going to have a limitation. Always, because by definition, as a human being, you are limited, right? And so the Qur'an, subhanAllah, in the order of Qur'an, it begins with a prayer in Surah Al-Fatiha. We read Surah Al-Fatiha, which is a dua that we make, 
And then in Surah Al-Baqarah, the first verse is a very powerful reminder that you don't know everything. And we find that if a person tries to come to the Qur'an with anything less than, I am seeking answers, I'm seeking guidance, that this book will lose a lot of meaning for that person, if not all of the meaning for that person. Right? So a person has to come with humility, and that's one of the things that Alif Lam Mim teaches us. What else? This is a book in which there is no doubt, guidance for those of taqwa. Okay, there's no doubt in this book, and by extension, there's no doubt in what? It's not that funny. There's no, there's no doubt in what? Call it out, y'all. Islam, very good. What else? There's no doubt in? Allah, there's no doubt in who brought the Quran to us? The Prophet Sallallahu through Angel Jibreel okay? Uh, who preserved the Quran for us? The companions, right? Through their 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 diligence in memorization and in and, and in uh, and the scribes of the Quran. So all of this, Allah Ta'ala is saying that in the entire institution of of of, of revelation, there is no doubt. And this is such a powerful statement to make because, I mean, even for those of you who, who uh, you know, work on, on projects or you, you take classes, right? When you buy textbooks, this is like the worst example ever. All this PTSD just entered the room, <laughs> right? When you finance your textbooks, all right, what, what's, the, what's the worst thing ever is when the teacher is like, you have to have the seventh edition. And you look at yours and it's like 6.8th edition. And you're like, I hate my life right now, right? Okay. But that, that titling or that subtitling of like 5th edition or 6th edition, it's, it's an admission. These are like a group of scholars coming together to write on a specific topic. And they are admitting that we needed to make uh, corrections, that we needed, to, we needed to edit this text, right? That's like $600 for some reason. And we need to do it over and over and over again edit it six times, seven times to the point where we can't even tell you that this is the last version. But Allah Ta'ala in the second verse of Surah Al-Baqarah says, There is no doubt in this book. You don't have to worry about there being another edition or any sort of annotations or any sort of changes. You know for a fact that that's not going to be the case with the Quran. So in a world where there is doubt left and right, I mean, you, even, you, you can't even with certainty say that you know something about yourself. Right? Like you might, you don't know what you're going to do tomorrow. You might have an idea, you might have hopes and aspirations, but you don't know for certain. Allah Ta'ala is saying that there is no doubt in this book, in this deen, in the messenger who brought it to you. Okay? That the function of this book is guidance for those people who have taqwa, those people who have God consciousness. And we talked about how the function of the Quran, and this is really interesting. You guys ever read the Quran before? I'm just going to stop here and let it... All right. You guys ever read the Quran before and come across uh, like verses, like maybe it was a story of a prophet, for example, like Prophet Musa alayhi salam or like, uh, you know, Prophet, uh, you know, Saleh Dawood or any of the prophets. And in the story, like it jumps around a little bit, like it stops and then goes, it's almost like it's not completely so comprehensively detailed every step of the way. I mean, in the story of Yusuf for example, like you have the conversation with his father Yaqub by his son by having the dream, 
And then all of a sudden Yaakov tells him, don't tell your brothers. And then it switches to what? Having an outing with his brothers. And they're trying to tell their dad, like, trust us. And the dad's like, I don't know about this. And then it goes to, you know, them leaving him. And so there's a lot of jump cuts. You know, in movies they call it a jump cut. There's a lot of jump cuts in the Quranic storytelling. And for people who don't understand what the Quran is, they're like, what is this? Like, why is it not giving me like a very detailed, comprehensive start to finish? Right? Why isn't it doing this? But Imam al-Ghazali very beautifully says something. He says that every science has its purpose. Okay? So the purpose of like material science, like the empirical purpose of science, right? The, the five senses is discovery, is exploration of the physical world. Okay? He says the purpose of mathematics is precision. Right? Like architects have to be mathematically precise to a crazy degree. To a degree that I never wanted to know existed until I got involved with roots, with building out this place. They're like, it's off by a quarter inch. I'm like, just ignore that. <laughs> They're like, no, we can't. I'm like, no, 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 please don't do another drawing. We really need to move forward. They're like, no, no, it's a quarter inch. It's a big deal. So mathematics is precision. The science of language and rhetoric is about communication and is about articulation. Imam al-Ghazali says, when you take all these other sciences and try to apply that to the Qur'an, you're going to feel lost because you're using these other standards for what this book is for. And this book is not for precision, it's not for scientific exploration, and it's not for purely for linguistic articulation. This book is for guidance. And so when you come to this book, you have to be looking for guidance. You can't be looking for other things. Now, does this book include some... Maybe some scientific allusion or reference? Yeah, sure. Does it include, I don't know, uh, maybe some mathematical reference? It can. Is it a literary work of art? Absolutely. Right? But is that the purpose of the Quran? No. What's the purpose? Allah says guidance for those people whose hearts have God consciousness. Okay? So now it's kind of like it's checking you at the door and it's making you make sure, look, this is what I'm here for. All right, let's continue now to the next verse. The, the, the previous verse we said ends with a, a, a colon. It ends with a, like, you know, a colon. This is what this book is for. So now, Allah Ta'ala continues. These are the first three characteristics of a person of taqwa. Because again, if Allah says that this book is guidance for those people who have taqwa, then naturally the question you're going to ask is like, how can I be that person? So Allah Ta'ala gives us three qualities. He says, they are those who they believe in the unseen. Okay, someone tell me, when I say unseen, what do you think of? Jin. Very good, jinn. <laughs> Excellent. That's the, that is, and, and you know what? I appreciate you, sister, for being honest. You were all thinking it. But no one wanted to be that one. Like, no one wanted to be that courageous. When we talk about the unseen, the first thing everyone's like, ooh, jinn story time, right? Someone did say angel, so I'll give you that. But jinns, like whenever you talk about things you can't see, everyone's like, oh, can't see it? Islam has to be jinns. You know, what do they eat? Is it true that jinns can marry you? Is it true that this and this and this, right? I have a story. My door closed one time. It was a jinn. You know, like all these, that's the realm of the unseen. And then it goes into like the Illuminati and then you're watching YouTube videos at three in the morning and then you're late for work and then you look at the back of the dollar bill and you're like, there it is, Freemasons. Like... And look, I'm not here to say, there's a few people that are not laughing. I'm sorry if I'm offending you, right? If this is like what you do. But I, I will say this. I'm not trying to like say that it is or isn't. Like, 
I, I don't know. There's probably layers to society that I don't know about, and I'm probably going to die not knowing about. And on the day of judgment, we're all going to be like, huh, they were right. But, <laughs> but what I will say is that the unseen, if you look at the books of Tafsir and you know, the, the companions of the Prophet, you'll see that the way that they understood the science of the unseen was so different. It was so different. For us, it's like these miraculous phenomenon or these things that are inexplicable. For them, subhanAllah, man, I, there was a list that some of these scholars compiled of what the unseen should, when a person hears that word, those who believe in the unseen, what a person's mind should start to think about. The first is Allah, right? If you ever hear those who believe in the unseen, you know, one of the scholars said, it has to be Allah because he's not, he's not seeable, right? Allah Ta'ala is not perceivable through any means, right? Through our visual sense. And so those who believe in the unseen is obviously first and foremost referring to Allah. How is a person going to find guidance in the Quran if they don't believe that it's from God? Isn't that interesting? And this is what we talked about. We said that there are people out there, people who are Islamophobes, that this is a very well-paying industry. Uh, I don't think the money's halal, but it's a very well-paying industry for people to try to employ all of their, their intellect to try to disprove or sow seeds of doubt into the minds of uh, people regarding Islam, including Muslims. But subhanAllah, those people are like very well-educated when it comes to Islamic studies. Very well-educated. I mean, they know more than probably the majority of people in this room in terms of Arabic language and tafsir and hadith. This is not an exaggeration. Okay, I told you guys a story about that one guy I met who was quoting stuff and I was like, Sheikh, let me be your student. And the guy's like, I'm not Muslim, right? But subhanAllah, you know what's crazy? The heart of the person that believes in Allah can uncover stuff that's in the book of Allah that the one who doesn't believe will never access, ever, ever. And a lot of people are like, oh, in order to know more, you have to know nuance, grammar, language, this and that. Man, have you guys ever prayed Tarawih next to that uncle or auntie that is just crying nonstop? Like nonstop? And you're just like, what are they crying about? These verses are about inheritance. These verses are about like what meat is allowed to eat. Like, you know what I mean? They're crying, but they're like bawling their eyes out. And you're sitting there, like in your technically savvy self, like you studied a little bit of Arabic online for three and a half months. It was a six month course. You dropped out halfway. Everyone has excuses, right? And... And you're sitting there and you're like, okay, I don't know, like, I don't know too much, but I know that these verses are not emotional. The imam is kind of just flying through this too, because this is, we're trying to get through it. It's like the 14th night of Ramadan, but auntie and uncle, mashallah, are like connected. You know what I mean? This happened one time and, and I met the, one of the aunties, man, I met her and I asked her like, what is it? Do you understand it? And she said, I don't understand a word. And I said, what is it that's causing you to cry? And she said, because Allah sent us a book. Are you serious? The creator of the heavens and the earth deemed us noble enough to tell us his message? Who am I? She's like, I was so astounded by the fact that my creator sent me a message that it just moved me to tears because she believed in Allah. So belief in Allah is like the foundation of everything. The, the rest of the Qur'an simply just won't make sense in the same way. You know, as they say, it hits different. It simply will not engage with the heart of a person who cannot ask themselves honestly if they believe in Allah or not. Okay? Now, everyone here, inshallah, okay, is a believer in Allah. And if you're not, I don't mean to make you uncomfortable, but lock the doors. I'm just joking. 
No, no, no. If you're not, that's fine. Okay, believer in, 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 in God or in some sort of uh, uh, divine creator, right? Lord, that's fine. But what I will say is that with that belief, there has to come some standard of relationship, right? There are a lot of people who are married and their marriage is not the marriage that people want. There are a lot of people who have parents and children, but that relationship is not the relationship that they want. There are a lot of people who work and they hate their job, right? So how many of us, we have this relationship with Allah, but it's not the standard that we know it should be, right? So then we can't even really say that that standard, right? Because if the rest of Islam is not working for us, the real question we got to ask ourselves is like, how's my relationship with Allah? It's like a person saying like, I hate my job, but then they never show up. Or like, I'm, I hate my, 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 my family, but then they're never there for like family dinners or reunions or anything like that. Like, do you even have the credibility to say that you gave it a shot? And so with Allah, a lot of people give up on him before, and he never gave up on you. And they give up on him and they say that, I don't even know if God's there. I don't even know if Islam, what's Allah going to do for me? And it's like, well, have you even put your head on the floor once for him? Did you even do one thing that he asked? Right? And so that's the, that's the initial foundation. The second they say is the Qur'an. How is the Qur'an unseen? How is that from the, the ghaib? Because we have the Qur'an, like it's right in front of me. Huh? It's Allah's speech, very good. Okay? And how did the Qur'an come to us? In a book? Like did Jibreel bring down a book? Was he like, here you go Muhammad Wasallam. Here's the book. And Muhammad is unlettered, he can't read. So no, it didn't come down that way. How did it come down? It came down over the course of 23 years through revelation. Allah Ta'ala sent Jibreel, his, 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 his archangel, to deliver the Qur'an in messages to the Prophet This was something that very few people had any experience with witnessing any even of the surrounding effects of it. But nobody could see this. Nobody could see these moments. But they saw what it did, subhanAllah. So even though the Qur'an has an effect on people, you can't see the revelation of the Qur'an itself. Aisha, she described it the one time. And I'll take a little break here for this, because this is powerful. Aisha, she said that I saw the Prophet on Yom Shadid al-Bab. I saw a day that he was standing. It was very cold outside. It was very cold. You guys know that Saudi Arabia can get cold? Makamadiya can get cold. Like very cold. It was just snowing recently, I think. So like at nighttime, it can get like 30, even less, okay? So she said, I saw the Prophet ﷺ on a day when it was freezing cold outside. And I looked at him, and, and they didn't have like central heating, air conditioning, none of that. And I looked at him, Aisha she said, and I saw that his head was dripping with sweat. He was, he was sweating like crazy, as if it were 100 degrees. And she said that he was looking down at the ground and he was just perspiring. And then after that experience, she asked him, like, what happened? And he said, Jibreel was reading and, and revealing Quran to me. It was such a heavy experience. One time he was riding a camel. You guys ever seen a camel before? Camels are not small things. By the way, they're not like, I don't know. They've been marketed as cute. They're not, okay, I don't know. They're scary. Camels are scary. They're very smart, but they're scary animals, okay? And they're beasts. Like by the true definition of where they are beasts, okay? And you got these camels that are massive. And they can carry anything. I mean, you throw anything on a camel, it can carry it. Okay? And when the Prophet was riding a camel, and when Revelation came to him as he was riding the camel, the, the legs of the camel started to quiver and shake as if it was going to collapse. 
And that's why Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran that when He sent the Quran, Inna sanunki alayka We sent upon you a very heavy speech. So this Quran, even though it could not be seen, like there was no like physical manuscript that Jibreel was giving the Prophet Sallallahu a few pages each time, the experience of it was felt, okay? And this is the same with us. I mean, the Quran is very interesting, SubhanAllah. When you give it a chance, when you give it a shot, there is something beloved about the Quran to every believer, regardless how much they know or don't know about the Quran. You know, even people who maybe haven't ever engaged with it, when they listen to the beautiful recitation and melody of it, it impacts them. I told this story before, like my dad accepted Islam because of the Adhan. Like, because the Adhan. He heard the Adhan and it was like, it shook him. Right? I'm not using it like we use it, like he was shook. No, like it actually rattled his heart. Like it made him like rethink things. And he said like, SubhanAllah, like that was his entryway into Islam. Okay? So all of these things are from the unseen. The angels they mentioned, the day of judgment. Okay? What else is unseen for us? COVID? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true, okay? Previous prophets. So you have stories of previous prophets, and for us that includes the Prophet right? But even when it was being revealed, there's all these prophets of like Prophet Musa, Prophet Yusuf, Prophet Isa, all these prophets. This is all unseen. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that as the first condition of whether or not you're going to be able to access this text as a guidance, What's the Quran saying? You have to become comfortable with being able to believe in something that you can't see, right? And this is like the, the, the you know, I, I don't know, uh, maybe people who, who have trouble with faith, this is like the one-on-one level of the questioning. Is like, well, I can't see it, right? Well, I can't see it. Well, you can't see a lot of things. You can't see the love that your parents have for you in their heart. All you can see are the manifestations of that love. You can't see the, the, the feelings people have towards you. You can't see the generosity that people feel towards you, when they, but you can see the gifts they send you. Right? You can't see all of the tension that someone's experiencing, but you can see the tears coming out of their eyes. There's a lot of things that we can't see. Some scholars, they write about this. They say you can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of it. Right? The least, I know that was deep. Everyone's like, wow. <laughs> Next time it's windy, you're going to be looking like, can I see it? No, you can just see the effects of it. Right? So as a believer, you have to become a, someone who is very, very comfortable admitting and accepting things that we can't see. And by the way, like I know you said COVID like, as, as a little a humorous uh, you know, joke, but in reality, like, dude, there's, you don't even know everything about yourself. Like, you, have anyone here ever seen their mitochondria? <laughs> no. Like you haven't seen it, right? But you believe in it, right? It's been, it's been shown scientifically, it's been studied and discovered, etc. but you haven't seen your own. How do you know like you're the only person without mitochondria, right? Whatever, the point being is that we accept a lot of things that we can't see. You guys ever fall on a plane not seen the pilot? Just scared everybody, huh, okay? All right, but subhanAllah, there's another meaning to bilhayib. Remember we talked about this with the bath from Bismillah and Surah Fatiha, how many meanings were there? Seven, if not more, but like we reduced it to seven. So the ba in bil ghaib actually has another meaning. In one meaning it means believing in things that are not seen. Oh, but this one's really deep. One, one uh, uh, tafsir that I was reading, it says something really powerful. He said that the ba here can also mean that you have belief when you are unseen. What do I mean by that? 
you have belief when you are unseen. Anybody from this side? What does it mean to have belief when you are unseen? When are you not seen? Huh? When you're unborn, okay. A little, get a little bit deep. All right, let's roll it back a little. When are you not seen, guys? When you're by yourself. Very good, right? MashaAllah. Sometimes I ask trick questions. I think everyone's been conditioned. They're like, I know the answer. It's like, no, no, no. Just tell me, when are you not seen? When you're by yourself, okay? Who are you when you're by yourself? Nobody. Okay, come on, relax now. You're somebody. Is it going to turn on one of those sessions? Is it going to turn to a, a Rupee Cower poem? Okay. Who are you? Who are you when you're by yourself? You are your true self. You are who you really are. You do, when you're by yourself, listen to this, guys. When you're by yourself, the decisions you make are your heart unfiltered, right? The, the, the urgency with which you get up to do the things you know you need to do, like pray, that is who you really are. When you're surrounded by people, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of people around you, and those decisions are impacted by maybe the perception that you want to have, the language that you use, right? The things that you say, the things that you look at, the scrolling that you do. Right? And that's a whole other realm. Because there's who you are when you're alone, but then you have this, this engaged technology that shows you also who, what's inside of you. It's almost like the, 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 that show Black Mirror, right? Which is, that's what that, it's referring to the, the screen, right? Okay? Black Mirror, when you're looking at your phone, have you ever thought that your phone is just a mirror of what's in your heart? Like as you're scrolling, it's just reflecting what's inside of you. Think about this. And we're going to have an event on, on, on Friday called Chai Chat. Where we're going to discuss the social dilemma. I didn't plan that. But think about this. If these companies know how long you stop to watch a certain video or to look at a certain picture, these companies know exactly the kind of heart you have. And then the deviousness and the evil of these different companies, they market to exactly the weaknesses and vulnerabilities that they know are inside of you. These are the things you think nobody knows. But if in reality, you know it. And now, because of technology, there are multi-million dollar firms who know exactly who you are. Isn't that crazy? And when I say that, how many of you get uncomfortable? We should, right? But you know what's crazy? Allah has always known exactly what's in the heart. Allah has always known that. And Allah sees us. I mean, we're all scared of people seeing us, right? Like when you're looking at something and someone comes up, you do what? You like scroll away or close your screen? How dare we be more afraid of people than Allah? How does it make sense? Right, make it make sense. It doesn't. And so one of the scholars said in this verse, in order to have taqwa, this is literally, literally the definition of taqwa. They said that you believe in Allah when you are by yourself, just like you believe in Allah when you're with people. That's what alladina yu'minuna bil means. That when you're alone, you still get up to pray. The same way that you do after heart work, when we say it's time to pray and people stand up. If you're at home and you see the adhan go off or isha tomorrow night, you stand up the same way you would if you were in a masjid with 500 other people. You st- and you pray. And, and there are ways, right, that you can prove this, that you can do this. The biggest way that I've seen, this is what my teachers taught us, is that 
you do your best to outdo your public self in private. Outdo your public self when you're by yourself. So what kind of person are you in front of your people, in front of friends? What kind of person are you when you're surrounded? Give yourself a score. Seven, eight. Be a nine or a ten when you're by yourself. If we gave a charity box around the room right now because it was 1992, <laughs> right now. But if we took like a, a pledges, how much can you give? How much can you give? And people raise their hand. I can give 10, 20, 50, $100, right? And you did that, but you know that people were around you, okay? And you raise your hand and you feel that pressure. Everyone's like, take beer. And then the fundraiser makes dua for you and your family and your lineage and your animals and everything in your house, <laughs> right? You know, what, you know what our teachers told us? They said, if you do that in public, you have to go home and in private, you have to outdo yourself now. You have to outdo yourself. Because you'll never know if you actually would have done that action if you were alone until you do it when you're alone. So this is really deep, y'all. I mean, this is like next level stuff. We could leave right now and we would have enough. Those people who believe in Allah or believe in the unseen, they believe in everything that is unseeable to them, but they also believe when they are unseen as well. And that's the first condition of taqwa. Am I the same believer when I'm alone as when I'm with my friends? Am I the same person? Or do my eyes become different eyes? Does my tongue become a different tongue? Do my ears become different ears when I'm around others versus when I'm by myself? We ask Allah Ta'ala to make us congruent. You know, spiritual congruence is what we want. We want to be the same person. We want to be just as good. Imagine, dude, if the Prophet Sallallahu was following your social media accounts. Imagine if he could see what you were... I see people shaking their head. Imagine if the Prophet could see the things that you were looking at, the things that you were posting, the language. This is what gets me. This is what gets me. When I talk to somebody, when I say something and I regret it, one of the first thoughts that gets me is like, man, if the Prophet were here, would he even want to look at you right now? Like, what are you doing? Get yourself together, man. And then, of course, by extension, Allah. But sometimes there is a little bit of a difference in ease and connecting to another human being, right? And we want to impress the Prophet Sallallahu We don't want him to be the one on the Day of Judgment when we meet him, he turns away. And he's like, you didn't, you didn't represent, right? It's not about not making mistakes, but it's about trying. You know, we don't want to meet the Prophet Sallallahu He's like, you didn't even try. You didn't even try. May Allah Ta'ala protect us. And we always try. Ask Allah, oh Allah, never make me give up. Give me strength. It's not about being perfect. It's about trying your best in the best way that you can. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us that. Okay, now why does the list start with belief? Okay, Allah establishes that this is the first thing that a person has to have. Because belief is the fuel that drives everything else. Like we said, there are people who don't have belief and this word of a God does not impact them the same way that it impacts us. All right, they're not here right now. They're not studying this stuff. But when a person has belief, it drives every other thing that they have to do. Like, why do we pray? Why do we fast? Ramadan is coming, may Allah Ta'ala give us Ramadan. Right? The month of mercy, the month of forgiveness, the month of so many different acts of worship, right? Fasting, prayer, Quran, etc. This is a month that we all look forward to. On paper, it looks like a very difficult time, but Muslims enjoy it. We love it. Why do we love it? Because we believe that the one who gave us Ramadan is the one who is going to give us a reward for Ramadan as well. If you don't have belief in Allah, Ramadan is not very fun. Right? Ramadan is not fun. If you don't have belief in Allah, Hajj, are you serious? Hajj, you tell me I got to pay upwards of $10,000 to go live in a desert for two weeks? 
And for men, I have to wear two towels for how many days? Right? But if you, would, if you believe in Allah, Hajj is the moment of your life. It is like Arafah and Hajj is the pinnacle of your existence if you believe in Allah. Salah, for the one who doesn't believe in Allah or doesn't have strong belief in Allah, Salah is just something that gets in the way. I'm, I'm, I'm in rhythm right now. I'm working, right? Working from home, air quotes. Work from home. We all know. We all know. Man, I walked into somebody's house the other day and one of my friends was working from home. And I said, why are you sleeping? And he goes, I'm working. I said, no, you're not, bro. He goes, yeah, I just, I automated all my stuff. I was like, how was that? Automated, dude. SubhanAllah. Anyways, when you're working, you're in a rhythm or when you're busy, when you're at a game, watching a movie, whatever it might be, and you feel the need to, to, to stop and pray and you're like, man, okay, let me just pray real quick. Let me just, let me just do this really quickly. Versus what did the Prophet say when it was time to pray? The Prophet interestingly enough, saw everything else as the problem. He saw work and he saw you know, trade and business and all that stuff was like, man, this is chaos. This is wild. Every day you wake up in the dunya, it's like a new thing. It's like a new challenge. The one thing that's consistent in my life is five times prayer. That routine saves me, right? And that's what the Prophet taught us. And that's the next thing that Allah Ta'ala mentions is the condition of belief. The condition of being guided. Is how's your prayer? You know, Wallahi, I'm going to tell you this, guys, right now. I don't say this very often, but I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to open up, all right? It's not about my son. Don't worry to the one guy who doesn't like when I talk about Musa. It's personal. No, I'm joking. It's not. Uh, I can tell exactly when things in my life are going south because of the quality of my prayers. 100% I'm going to be honest with you. When things in my life are not going the way that I want them to go, I know that I'm doing something wrong in my five times a day. I, I know it. I know it. And the minute that I refocus and try to really, like, really try in my salah, the minute that I decide to do that, Allah gives me these little glimmers of hope that things are going to be restored. It's, it's uncanny how the relationship is. Now, I'm not promising you, right? Because this is, again, it's different for every person. But I can tell you 100%. Anyone here ever, like, your parents got mad at you, you still can't tell why? They were just upset? Anybody? Yeah, thank you, one person, mashallah, right? You call them, they're like, why are you calling me? You're like, oh, okay, this is the first time that's ever happened, right? Or for some reason during the day, something's just going south. Musa, I'm sorry, the one guy. Musa just, like, misbehaving, Right? Musa's like, I don't want to eat this. My wife is so hilarious, man. She made ramen, homemade ramen with like chicken and all that good stuff. And she tried to give it to him and he was like, no, ew. And then she's like, what's the problem? And he's like, it's yucky, I don't want it. And we're like, okay, whatever, put it in the fridge and we fed him something else. I think some like bread and some meat or whatever. The next day, we're like, what do you want to eat for dinner? And he's like, I want those noodles. I'm like, are you gaslighting us right now? <laughs> He's like, those noodles were delicious. And I'm like, what? I need therapy. Like, this is rough, you know? And he inhaled it. I mean, we were using a fork. You might as well give that boy a straw. Like, he, those noodles didn't stand a chance. I was like, 24 hours ago, these noodles were an abomination against your body. And now, this is all you want for breakfast and dinner? He's like, those were delicious, mama. I love you. And I was like, this is too much. Like, 
This is why you can't diagnose sociopathy. Anyway, so you can't diagnose children as sociopaths because they are. So, so subhanAllah, I, when, when, when my wife and I have issues with the kids, we ask ourselves like, how's Salah been? How's the prayer been? Not just doing it, because that is one thing, but also how has it been qualitatively, right? And by the way, Salah doesn't remove your problems, but you know what it does? It gives you the fortitude to deal with them. It doesn't take away the waves, but it makes your ship strong enough to handle them as they crash upon you, right? So Allah Ta'ala says, الَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْغَيْبِ Number one, those people believe in the unseen or believe when they're unseen. وَيُقِيمُونَ الصَّلَاةِ and they establish their prayer. Iqama means that it is immovable. You know this entire building, by the way? When we got it, alhamdulillah, with the help of this community, may Allah ta'ala bless you guys. When we got it, it was empty. You guys ever seen like one of those movies where like there's a scene towards the end where the guy like transports and he's in like this empty white building? Like the Matrix or something? That's what it looked like. You walk in here, it's just empty. And we talked to the architects and we're like, okay, what can we move? You guys know this right here, the bathrooms? Well, uh, use them at your own risk, but you know the bathrooms, okay? These are movable, isn't that crazy? When we were doing the designs, they were like, we can wipe those out. We can take them down completely. And we're like, you can remove all of that stuff? They're like, yeah, yeah, it's no problem, no problem. Some other stuff, they were like, we can move it. I was like, what do you mean move it? They're like, we could literally put floor there and it will be like it never was there. People, you know, it's like watching Property Brothers, but on a different level. These guys are crazy. They're like, we can make this look however you want it to look. So then I was like, can you move this pole? They're like, no. <laughs> that pole right there, wallahi, these two poles, we're like, uh, because this is eventually going to be the extension of the masjid, inshallah. We're like, can you move these? Because it's kind of weird to have poles in the masjid. They're like, no, sorry, sir. I'm like, you just told me you can lift the building and move it, but now you're telling me you can't move these poles? No, these are structural. These are load-bearing. They have to be there. That's iqama. That's what وَيُقِيمُونَ salah means. Everything else in your life is negotiable. Like everything. You think it's not, but it is. You know what's not negotiable? Fajr, Dhuhr, Asr, Maghrib, Isha. Non-negotiable. Like those pillars. Can't touch them. Alright? And that's what the Qur'an is talking about. Not those who pray, and it's interesting too because you see when Allah Ta'ala praises the believers, there's a quality that He always ties to Salah. He says they pray, but you know what else He says? الَّذِينَ هُمْ فِي صَلَاتِهِمْ دَائِمُونَ That those people, they are regular in their prayers. وَيُقِيمُونَ الصَّلَةِ They establish their prayers. Meaning what? That there is consistency. It's not just about the one-time prayer because we all have that. We all have the moment where we're being hit so hard with something or we so desperately want something that we show up to the prayer rug and it's dusty. That we show up to Salah and we're like a stranger with Allah. How embarrassing. You guys ever texted a friend that you needed a favor from and you looked at your last message and it was like 2004? You're like, hey, I got a new phone. It flips. That was your last message. Right? And now you have to ask, like they went through medical school and now you have to ask for a prescription. And you're like, hey, how do you even start that? Right? You know that embarrassment that we feel? You know that, that sense of when you truly need something, you're not making it up. You really need something. But you look at those messages and you say, man, you know what? I should have been a better friend. It's, it's on me. I didn't message this person. I didn't keep in touch with them. It's not them. I'm the one who needs their help now. And I look at this last thread and this last message 
is years old, and now I feel embarrassed to come to them and say, hey, uh, I need your help. When's the last time that we've had like that kind of consistency with Allah? The break is so long from Ramadan to Ramadan, or from last crisis to last crisis. Hey, it's me again, right? Now, Allah is so merciful. He's not like people. This is the beautiful part. Allah promises us and says that if you came to me after acquiring a world's worth of sins, the entire world was filled with your sins. Allah Ta'ala says, and you came to me and you asked me once for forgiveness, I would forgive you. And I wouldn't even mind. You know the one who has leverage on you when they help you, what do they do? Like, yeah, don't forget about this. I used to have this one family member, man, subhanAllah. He used to buy us a lot and give us a lot of gifts, but he would always talk about it. And then, like, it was weird because later, like, he'd be like, if you don't, if you, if you don't act straight, I'm gonna, if you don't act, if you don't act well, I'm gonna take it away from you. And we're like, come on, man. Eventually, he's like, you want a gift? We're like, nah, not from you. <laughs> right, freaking IRS over here, right? Give us something to take it back. Like, what's going on, man? You know? It's not what you want. Allah's not petty like us. We're petty, right? Like, we're petty. Like, will you a favor? We're like, remember that one, right? I remember one time I, I, I met somebody, subhanAllah, and, and they, were, they were saying that they had, they had matured and they had grown in a certain character in their life. And I was like, tell me about it. What was it like? And they said, man, I'm too embarrassed to even tell you, but since you asked, they said, uh, back when I used to like, have friends, Back, I used to be the kind of person that when I did something with my friends, I would like keep score in my head. And everyone here is like, what? Like, you know what he's talking about. Where he's like, if I invited them over, I would kind of like quietly wait for an invite, right? And I wouldn't invite them again until they sort of like, you know, met me one for one, right? Or if I spotted them lunch, then I would kind of, next time we go to lunch, like, whoop, Walt's in the car. You know, maybe walk all the way out there, you know? And he said, this is kind of how I lived. Like, and he, he said, you know, it probably came from a lot of like family type stuff, but he said, this is how I lived. When I did stuff for somebody, I would always kind of keep score. And then he said, and then I realized that because of this like formality in the relationship and this scorekeeping, like all my friends started to fall away from me because I just kept expecting stuff. And Imam Ghazali talks about this. He says, don't be heavy on your friends. Don't be heavy on them. Don't be like a burden, a weight that they have to carry. Be light with people around you. The reason I say this is because with Allah, like he doesn't carry that stuff. Allah doesn't keep score with us. Allah can forgive us a million times between even the two prayers that we pray. He can forgive us for thousands of sins between two good deeds that we do. It's just about us having the courage to ask Allah. Because it takes courage to make tawbah. It takes courage to look inside yourself and see your flaws. Right? When you stain your shirt, you avoid mirrors for the rest of the day. People are like, hey, you're like, I know, don't bring it up, right? <laughs> when you stain your heart, you don't want to look inside there. No one wants to acknowledge the mistakes that they have. It's uncomfortable. When I talk about things like not praying or like looking at stuff on your phone you're not supposed to, like becoming addicted to this stuff, no one wants to like deal with that demon. But the minute you do, you've unlocked this desperation to Allah that can only be reached when you are honest with yourself. And when you show that courage and the change that you're looking for is at the end of that courage. It's never going to come unless you show some bravery with Allah. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us that. So you establish the prayer. We're consistent. We try our best. And I have some advice for you. 
If there's anyone in here, you don't have to raise your hand. If there's anyone here who's struggling with prayer, like you haven't prayed in a long time, don't worry about it. Just start tonight. Don't worry about the past, I don't know, weeks, months, years, whatever. Just pray now. Pray Isha. Don't think about, oh man, I haven't prayed in so long. That's what Shaitan is saying. Shaitan's telling you, you haven't prayed in so long. How are you going to pray? You don't even dress right. How are you going to pray? You do all this stuff. How are you going to pray? You, you have all these sins. Shaitan is like, you are a joker. Right? And you need to tell him, like, you're Shaitan or a gene, dude. Like, you're the cursed devil. Like, with all due respect, shut up. <laughs> I'm going to pray because Allah asked me to pray. And because my Lord is the forgiving Lord. And the minute that I step on that prayer rug, <laughs> before that, when I start to make wudu, what are we, what are we taught about wudu? This is crazy. When you make wudu, Iman, by the way, is so funny. I'm sorry. I'm a dad, dude. Just forgive me, guys. Iman today was, was making wudu. And my wife walked in on the bathroom and she has her leg on a full-size 36-inch cabinet. She has, and I don't know how tall she is, she has her leg, she looks like she's, she's like trying out for the Olympics. She has her leg stuck straight up in the air and her heel is on like the granite. And she's like, ugh, ugh. And my, and my wife's like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm making wudu. And Marine's like, how? And she goes, because Baba washes his feet in here too. Right? I never taught her about wudu or anything, guys. I'm not that crazy. You're like the imam's kids. This guy probably has a you know, Muslim boot camp in his house. <laughs> no, man. Like, my kids don't pray yet. Like, they're, I, I'm kind of worried. But, you know, <laughs> iman prays. But uh, anyways, I'm working on it. Make God for us. So my kids aren't like that. So she's making wudu, man. SubhanAllah. And she just saw. She just saw, like, one day I was making wudu. She's like, why are you doing that? And I'm like, I'm making wudu. She's like, what's that? I was like, it's what we do before we pray. And a lot of us, like, we think of wudu as just like, you know, a time for us to quickly wash up or whatever. But, you know, Ibn Abbas said, Ibn Abbas said that when, I, when the Prophet Sallallahu said that when a person makes wudu, Allah is washing sins from their body, okay, with every drop. So Ibn Abbas said that ever since I heard that hadith, when I made wudu, I would look at the drops falling from my arms or my hands or my feet or my face. I would stare at the drops and I would become elated. I would start laughing at the sins leaving my body. That He saw that, right? And he didn't see one drop for one sin. He saw like one drop carried how many molecules are in a drop of water. That's all the sins that are leaving. So your spiritual salah starts before you even pray, right? It's like when you're prepping, it's your warm-up. You get in, you make wudu, and now all of a sudden you're like, man, I already feel lighter. And that's why some companions like Bilal, Bilal used to make wudu for every salah, regardless if he had it or not. He wouldn't have to sit there and be like, did I? Did I not? Right? Check the bathroom, you're like, doesn't, the lights are off, right? The door is kind of halfway open. It doesn't look like I used it today. He wouldn't do that. Time for salah? He'd go make wudu. How long does it take, guys? How long does wudu take? 15 seconds. Okay, 15 seconds. Not slip and slide, homie. Wudu. <laughs> I'm just picking on Humayun because I love him, mashallah. Right? You know, we'll do, it takes what? A minute. Let's be, let's be, let's be generous. I can show you a video of Sheikh, uh, uh, Sheikh Khatri, man. He made wudu. It took him like 10 minutes. Because again, why wouldn't you? You have the time, right? Self-care. Think about your skin routine. Think about your skin routine. Think about lining up, you know, your beard or whatever. Think about how long you take for that stuff. You know? All that cream you got. I have this cream, avocado cream for my eyes. Is it working? <laughs> right? 
And it, you take a long time, like, you know, oh, this oil and this cream and stuff like that. Man, will do is cleansing you from sins. Your face is probably still going to look the same. The stuff you saw on TikTok might not work. Will do will work. Okay? So you make will do takes a few minutes, and then you come to the prayer rug, and you're, like, free from all those sins you committed that day. You come to me, Allah, pure, clean. And then you say, Allahu Akbar, and you engage in this prayer. And this is where the Prophet said that prayer becomes rest. Prayer becomes rest when you think of it as rest. Prayer becomes a blessing when you think of it as a blessing. What if all of the good things you needed in life were happening when you prayed or because you prayed? Think of it like that. Anyone here have like a good thing happen to them recently? Anything good. What if that only happened because you prayed the day before? All right? Thinking of that before you come to Salah, you're like, okay, now I know, now I know. And my teacher used to tell me, one of my teachers said, if you have trouble praying, he said that before you pray and before you start, think about what that prayer is for. Because you're constantly in need. Human beings are always in need of something, right? So I'm praying to Allah, oh Allah, this prayer, this Dohar today, oh Allah, I'm praying to you this Dohar, and oh Allah, you know that this issue is plaguing me. You know that this issue is killing me. I can't deal with it. Emotionally, physically, mentally. Oh Allah, I need you. And I'm going to pray this prayer, oh Allah. And as, as a reward, I need you to help me. Right? When you, when you add that intention to that prayer, now it becomes totally different. Now it's no longer getting out of the way. Now you're like, okay, this is actually going to give me something that I need. Okay, how do you perfect your prayer? At the haq, he said, and this is a pro tip for everybody. How do you guys pray? How do you know when you did a good prayer? Tell me. How do you know when you did like a really good one? You, you finish, you're like, nailed it. And you're like, I didn't have a do. Oh, man. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> good. Yes. I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing with you because otherwise I'd be crying because you're right. When you didn't have to count the rakahs in prayer. When you're like, which one is this? Five? Oh, no, there's no five. Bro. Like, I really need help. <laughs> Pillars on Wednesday, inshallah. Uh... Yeah, when you know, like, okay, I, I pray to the point where I didn't lose my focus, where, I, like, I actually know that four is four, right? Instead of just, let me just throw, throw a sajjah to sahu in there and, like, redo it just in case, okay? Yeah, so your, your focus didn't break, yes? When you just feel really great Good, absolutely. When the prayer causes you to feel really good. The Prophet ﷺ said, you know, this is powerful. He said, إِذَا sarratka hasnatuka." He said, if good deeds make you happy and bad deeds cause you sadness, you're a believer. Isn't that amazing? So prayer, you should feel happy. Like after you prayed, there is none of this like, oh, I prayed, but like I'm so worthless. I'm like, you know, this. no. Prayer, when you pray, you should say, Alhamdulillah. Like Allah allowed me to pray. Allah gave me the ability to pray. And then bad deeds, notice by the way, the Prophet said, and if when you do good deeds makes you happy and the one who never does bad deeds, you're a believer. No, he says when you do them and you feel bad, then you are a believer. Okay? How else do you know you had a good prayer? Good salah. Huh? You didn't rush. That's the one. Oh my, you nailed it. You made up for the wudu. Well, you didn't have to rush because your wudu was so short. No, I'm joking. He said, you know that your prayer was good when you didn't rush. And that's exactly what Ad-Dahaq says. Ad-Dahaq, one of the scholars up here, he says, to perfect the prayer is to perfect your sujood and your ruku and your khushu and your tilawah. Meaning what? 
not necessarily perfect, but to complete it. There's a hadith where the Prophet ﷺ walked in and saw a man praying, and he was praying very quickly. And after the person finished, the Prophet ﷺ told him, go back and pray, because you didn't pray. And this happened multiple times. And the Prophet ﷺ was teaching this companion through this method, that if you pray with that, I don't want to say urgency, but if you pray with that carelessness, that is shown by the speediness of the Salah, you're not really getting what you came for, okay? Like when you work out, you can cheat yourself. You can go to the gym for an hour and do all the motions, but you know when you had a good workout and when you didn't have a good workout, okay? You can go out and do something that takes a certain amount of time and not apply yourself. Like how many of you used to study at Starbucks in college? (laughs) Study, right? Let me go study. Six hours later, you're like, oh, I'm going to fail. I've just been drinking nonstop, mediocre, if not bad coffee, and laughing at my friends, and that's it, right? So you, you, you spent the time there, but in reality, because the application wasn't as genuine and authentic as it could have been, the reward wasn't as, you didn't yield as much, right? You didn't harvest what you came for. So Atahak is saying, look, even if you don't know Arabic, even if you're not like the most knowledgeable religious person in the world, you know what everybody can do? Slow down. You don't have to be like a scholar of Islam to slow down in prayer. You just have to know yourself. You just have to know like, what am I rushing for? I had a friend one time who timed himself. He timed himself in a normal salah. And then the next day or two later when he was reset, he slowed down. And he said that the time between the two was something really insignificant, like 45 or 50 seconds. But he said something about it on the inside, it felt like minutes. It felt like I was just like missing out on time if I didn't speed up. But when I looked at it, it was like maybe a one minute difference. And subhanAllah, when we pray and we sacrifice that one minute, sorry, when we sacrifice the prayer for that one minute and we finish, we walk away feeling empty. We walk away feeling like, what did I gain from that? And you know that you finished the prayer, so you check it off. But there is a part of you inside that says, man, what did I really even get from that? But like you said, when you finish prayer and after you say, salam alaikum wa rahmatullah, and you feel accomplished, you feel like, you know what? That five minutes or four minutes that I spent, I actually moved closer to Allah. In that moment, you know that you didn't rush yourself. You took your time. Remember this. Give us rest with it, ya bilad. Okay? Uh, the last one we'll finish with, inshallah, now because we're already at 8 p.m., is Allah Ta'ala says, Very interesting way of saying something. I'll translate it in English, but then I'll translate it how it's said. And you give from that which Allah has given you. And those people who give from that which Allah has given them. Okay? Now we understand that Allah gave us everything. So the statement is not, uh, I don't want, I'm going to be very careful with my choice of words. The statement is clarifying something that we might be able to assume. Yes or no? Who gave you all of your wealth? Allah. Who gave you all of your provision? Allah. So it's not like absolutely critically necessary, but Allah Ta'ala mentions that in some way or form because why? Because of emphasis that Allah is not asking you to give charity as if you somehow came up with this money by yourself, right? And even in the way that Allah Ta'ala phrased it, it wasn't, which also grammatically is fine in Arabic. He mentions, and from what we gave you first, 
which is an Arabic way of making something very important. Okay? So here is the lesson from this. Giving charity is good. Right? Giving charity is good. Yes or no? Are you guys rewarded for giving charity? Are there people who argue to give charity, even from a non-religious perspective? Right? There are benefits to giving charity, right? I know people who give charity at the end of the year because it takes them from a tax bracket to a lower one. So they're like calling all their nonprofit friends. They're like, how much can I give you? Right? Because they need to do that. So there are arguments to giving charity. Allah reminds us in this very first page of Surah Al-Baqarah, second page of the Quran, Allah says, everyone gives something, but very few give for Allah. Everyone gives something. And even when we give charity, we could give for a different reason besides Allah. We could give for clout, we can give for a favor, we can give for this. We can even give for ourselves to make ourselves feel good. Right? Look at how generous I am. But Allah is saying the minute you realize that everything you have is from Allah is the minute you're going to start to realize that giving charity is not something that you need to be given special recognition for. Rather, it's your responsibility. Right? If I loaned you a car for 10 days and in the middle I said, hey, can I just have it back for 30 minutes? And you said no, it would be nonsensical. Allah gives us an entire life of provision and then says, just give some charity. Two and a half percent of your annual wealth. And when someone asks you for food, just give them food. When someone asks you for clothes, make sure you give them clothes. When someone needs shelter, provide shelter for them. How foolish is it for a person to be asked and to say no? It's not even your wealth to begin with, right? And that's why the Prophet says that as sadaqatu burhanun. When you give charity, it's a proof. It's a proof of what? It's a proof that you believe. Charity is one of the greatest proofs that you believe. Because you say to Allah, Oh Allah, I don't know why I'm writing a check. No one writes checks anymore. You say, Oh Allah, like as you're, as you're ca- you know, cash apping or Venmoing or something, as you're typing in the number and you negotiate with yourself, so you type in 100 first and you're like, uh, let me go 70, uh, 80. Uh, they're going to come cheap. Okay, I'll go back to 100, right? As you're doing all this, you pause and you say to Allah, Oh Allah, I am only giving this because you gave this to me first. And I have no right to not give to what you told me to give to with the money that you gave me in the first place. And my mother used to say, SubhanAllah, she used to say, Sadaqah is protection. If you don't give it, Allah might take it somewhere else. Wouldn't you rather give it? Delia Mogah had actually had a really beautiful post about this like a month ago, where she said that, you know, it was beautiful for her to be able to give a, her money away in a way that didn't harm her. Allah Ta'ala sometimes asks you or takes money back from you, either in sadaqah or in tribulation, and that money actually rewards you because of your patience or because of your generosity, when in fact it could have been done in a way that harms you or hurts you, right? So my mother always used to say, whenever you get the chance for sadaqah, give it, because you don't know what that protection is going to give you. That $100 that you wrote, that you're donating to the masjid or to a relief organization, Allah could have taken that in the form of a speeding ticket. He's going to take it either way. You might as well just give it in a way that doesn't hurt you, right? Because it's the wealth that he gave you to begin with. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us these three qualities of belief. We ask Allah Ta'ala to make us from those people who have taqwa. And that because of that, O oh Allah, we ask you to make the Quran a book of guidance for us. We ask you, O oh Allah, that when we hear these verses, that they make us better people. And that we don't hear them and that they fall on deaf ears and dead hearts. Ameen, ameen, ya rabbil alameen. I wanted to quickly take a moment uh, to recognize somebody who is hiding. Amy, to my left, 
in the jumpsuit, mashallah. Amy, who are you wearing tonight? Is that Target? <laughs> this is Amy, mashallah. Many of you probably have, have, have either seen her or heard of her, been contacted by her. Uh, mashallah, Amy is one of our staff here at Roots, and today is her last day officially as a staff member, but she's still going to be here, inshallah, uh, in whatever capacity she can. She's moving on, inshallah, to, uh, I'll say, bigger and better things. Right, but mashallah, she's been with Roots now for just about two years. She was with us through the pandemic, alhamdulillah. She's been with us, obviously, as a community member. She was uh, our, our development director, so she would handle all of the sustainer and, and, and donor relations and gift giving and, and packing and mailing, like no joke. We have over a thousand sustainers, alhamdulillah, monthly, and it was her job to strategize and think about how she could let them know that we appreciate them with gifts and tokens of appreciation. And we're talking like mailing packages, like her entire house was taken over by the USPS, okay? And on top of that, she stepped up, mashallah, and took care of all of this, uh, uh, you know, the food that you guys are seeing. She made it her responsibility to try to make sure that you guys had something to eat every Monday. Of course, she worked with the rest of our team here. You have obviously everyone here, mashallah. Uh, but Amy was really, you know, the, the figurehead and, and the spear behind that, mashallah. So we wanted to congratulate Amy on, on moving on and thank you because the Prophet Sallallahu said that whoever does not thank people does not thank Allah. So if everyone can please give her a, a round of applause and appreciate her. And, uh, you know, Amy promised me that she wouldn't just disappear, she'd keep volunteering, so now you have to because everyone's waiting and they're gonna look for you every week, okay? No, I'm joking. Uh, but make dua for her and her family. She has two awesome, mashallah, young kids, uh, Adam and Zoya, and then she also has like the husband of the year, Mateen, mashallah. Every year, back to back, he just wins husband of the year. So make dua for her whole family, her parents, and everybody else as well. Barakallah uh, fikum. Inshallah, I also want to take one minute just for the sister side to announce a new program that we're having. Next to Amy is Dr. Sarah Hameda. Uh, mashallah, she is, uh, she recently moved to Dallas, I don't know, like a year and a half ago? Just about one year? Okay, mashallah. And, uh, her and her sisters, uh, originally from Austin, but they're now moved to the, the better part of da uh, Texas, uh, Dallas. Well, I know Austin's nice for donuts and stuff, but um, <laughs> they came here, alhamdulillah, and, and she's so awesome that she's like, I don't want to just live in a community without like doing something and giving back in some way. So she, mashallah, is a family physician. She is really experienced in, in her work as a physician, but also very experienced in community. And one of her passions is to give back uh, uh, in, in, in the form of education and mentorship, especially for uh, our sisters. And so she's starting a monthly workshop called Empower Her. Uh, when you see it, it looks a lot cooler than what I just said, it, right? <laughs> Empower Her. It sounds like a jujitsu class for women. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's a workshop that's going to be dealing with the physical, mental, and spiritual wellness of women as regards to all of the different conversations that women have about their bodies and their minds and their faith and how those, all those three things come together. It's gonna to be done on a weekly basis and our first session is gonna be next Thursday, inshallah, at 7 p.m. There is an RSVP. Uh, the post is gonna go live tonight, inshallah, in just about an hour at 9 p.m. So please make sure that you RSVP and register if you're a sister, you're interested in that. Um, and it's gonna be, there's multiple months. So there's, it's a workshop once a month uh, and she's gonna be joined by uh, Adam Asara Ahmed, who is, uh, you might know Sheikh Mikhail Smith. He's my colleague at Qalam. So his wife, Alma Sada, is, is a graduate of an Alma program up in New York, and she's going to be joining Dr. Sada, the two Sadas, uh, together uh, to conduct this workshop, inshallah. So just a lot of stuff going on. This Friday, we have Chai Chat, the movie screening. Just check it out on the calendar, inshallah, and I'd love to see everybody here for that. Barakallah fikum. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.